0: Thank you, Pastor Dallas. It is certainly my pleasure and privilege to be with you today. I bring you greetings from the big metropolis of Franklin, Georgia. Um, Atlanta is actually a suburb of Franklin, it's so large. You've never heard of Franklin, you've never been to Franklin, chances are you will never go to Franklin. But I bring you. at Franklin is about sixty miles southwest of Atlanta, and Pastor Dallas was in Bremen. We were about thirty, but our churches about thirty miles apart, uh, which was great. Gave us time to fellowship and uh, talk to each other on the golf course and grow spiritually on the golf course, uh, which we certainly did. Pastor Dallas said that it's been a long time since he's been in high school. What he didn't mention is that it's been so long since he was in high school. He rode his dinosaur to school, and if you were to look at his senior yearbook, you would actually find the disciples in his yearbook from his senior year in high school, but to tell you how old he really is, when God said, let there be light, Dallas was there to flip the switch, so so he's actually asked me, he knows about this story, and, and so he's asked me to share it with you before we get into the word. Okay? Can't, can't interfere with the signal. Just ask my wife. She'll tell me. When we were together at, at Snellville, uh, my wife and I did not have any children yet. And as Dallas said, he had, Caitlin was five and Haley was two. We weren't making any money, trust me. Uh, you know, it's, it's just how it is sometimes in the ministry. And... We were both teaching at a Christian school and working on staff at the church, and the pastor had instituted a, if you are late as an employee, if you are late more than twice in a semester, they would start to dock your pay, $5 every time you were late. So if we were late more than twice, we were actually having to pay to go to work. That's, That's how little we were making. And so since I didn't have any children, I could get to school early. I could get my classroom situated and get organized. And so all the teachers had to meet together for a devotional every morning. So I would come out of my classroom. I'm organized, ready to go for the day. And I would see Dallas and Holly lived in a church-provided home that was next to the church property and was probably about 250 yards from their house to the gymnasium where we met every morning never failed every morning. I would step out of my trailer and I would see this redhead shooting down the driveway at a breakneck speed to hurry up and get in and clock both of them in so they would not be docked. In the middle, here comes Dallas with his cup of coffee and behind him are two little girls crying the entire way Trying to and so Holly is like been shot out of a cannon, trying to hurry up and get there. Here comes Dallas in the middle. He's trailing Holly and he's having to stop every ten feet and turn around. Come on, girls! Come on! And ay, 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 come on! And finally, he just picks Haley up and it looks like Superman with a bag flying on the way to the gym to hurry up and get there on time. And so we go through the devotional, and Holly takes the kids to their classroom, and Holly goes to her classroom to teach, and Dallas is sitting two rows up from me at a table, so I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, and it's just he and I in the room, and Dallas is sitting a little to my left, a table up over to the left, and I promise you if I, if I had a table, I'll try to show you. So he's sitting at the, imagine there's a table in front of me, and he's sitting there like this, holding his coffee his head's down, eyes closed, and I just let him sit there. Finally after a couple of minutes, he'll raise his head up and turns around, and he looks at me. I said, "Good morning, sunshine." He's like, "Shut up." That's about the way it went every morning with that adventure. Of course, now I have kids, I certainly empathize and understand their situation. But it is it is my great pleasure and privilege to be with you today and to congratulate all of the graduates on your achievements and the adventures that the Lord has set before you. And so I want today to bring you a message not just for graduates, but I hope that will apply to everyone because something that never ceases to amaze me is the way that God can take, everyone can hear the same message, but how he can filter The same same message and tailor it to each person so each person hears what they need to hear. So this morning, Father, we ask that you would filter that message this morning. Through this imperfect vessel, God, you are sending a perfect message. And may that perfect message that flows through this imperfect vessel, may it find its place in the hearts of your people, And may it be the message that they need to hear for this season and for this time. And the body of Christ said, Amen. Today I want to go to John chapter 6. And as we begin to set up John chapter 6, in John 6, beginning in verse 16, it says, That evening Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they being the disciples got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Now the event that we're going to delve into today to discover these great spiritual riches takes place immediately after Jesus has fed the 5,000. We believe it may have been closer when you include the women and the children, may have actually been closer to 15,000 people. That Jesus fed with five loaves and two fish, or as we would say in Georgia, biscuits and cornbread and a couple of brim. So Jesus feeds 5,000, cracker barrels got nothing on Jesus. He feeds 5,000 people with cornbread and biscuits and a couple of brim. And it was immediately after this miraculous supper that the crowd wanted to take Jesus and make him their king. According to John 6, 14 and 15, they wanted to crown him as king, but Jesus slipped away to a quiet place to pray and to meditate. So here's, if you're keeping score, here's your first little note or your first point. Do not let the crowds determine or dictate your course of action for your life. The crowd wanted to make Jesus king. But they didn't understand Jesus. Jesus didn't need the crowd to make him king. He was already king. And if he had followed the wisdom of the crowd, he may have missed for that which he was destined and brought to earth for. So don't let the so-called wisdom of the crowd be the determining factor as to how you proceed in spiritual matters. Because the wisdom of the crowd is based on on an emotional, irrational, spontaneous reaction to an event or an event, and and the wisdom of the crowd is not thought out to its logical conclusion of its actions. What do I mean? If you look at the, in Exodus 32, if you look at the golden calf incident, the wisdom of the crowd said, this man Moses is gone. We need a God we can see. They create a God. They create this calf. They begin to worship it. And God says, now watch the wisdom of the crowd because God says, I've had enough. I'm going to wipe out 2 million people. Where if it's not for the intercession of Moses, 2 million people were about to meet their death. That's what the wisdom of the crowd gets you. In Passion Week, where Jesus enters into Jerusalem, on Sunday, the wisdom of the crowd is rejoicing in adulation and waving palm branches at Jesus and throwing their coats on the street in front of him. And the very same crowd on Friday is shouting, Crucify him! Because the crowd that loves you today will be the crowd that crucifies you tomorrow. That's why you can't let the crowd dictate your course of life. You have those on the very first at the very first football game of the college football season who say at the kickoff, oh, this is Florida State's year, and then the wisdom of the crowd at halftime says, Well, maybe next year. It's the wisdom of the crowd that will destroy you. But know this, church, we think of the crowd as, well, I'm not following the politics. I'm not following Republican. I'm not following Democrat. I'm not following this elected person. I'm not following this path. Understand, a crowd doesn't have to be a large number of people. A crowd doesn't have to be 50, 100, or thousands of people. The the, the, The wisdom of the crowd that may be deceiving you and bringing you down can be... As small as your immediate family, or even a small group of friends, or the crowd can be just one person whose wisdom is taking you down the wrong path. Let me give an example in Luke nine fifty one to fifty five. James and John, immediate family, and just two of them want to call fire down on a Samaritan village. Now you talk about destroying your own church growth. Hey, you don't do it our way, we'll burn your village down. What kind of wisdom is that? So it doesn't have to be a major, a large group of people. You see, if my wife and my wife's name is Christy and Christy and I had followed the wisdom of the crowd, we would have never met at Lee University because she may have never gone because her her mother especially didn't want her to leave Savannah, Georgia to go to Lee. If she had followed the wisdom of the crowd, she would have never made it to Lee. We would have never met. We would have never married. And we wouldn't be pastoring in Franklin today. So I say to you, first of all, to graduates and to everyone, don't let the wisdom of the crowd be your guiding principle. And a crowd doesn't have to be a hundred or thousands. It can be as few as one or two that are calling the shots. So here the disciples are, they fed 5,000 people, Jesus has slipped away to pray, and as the disciples like to do, they start to get antsy. They, they can't, They they're probably the first designated case of ADD. They have very little focus whatsoever. They've got to always be on the move. They've always got to be doing something. And they get antsy and decide they want to move to the other side of the lake. So they were in a town called Bethsaida and they set sail for Capernaum, which is approximately seven miles across the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee, the surface of the lake is actually about 700 feet below sea level. And it's 13 miles long, and it's 8 miles wide at its longest and widest locations. On all except the southern side, the lake is surrounded by mountains, and it resembles a, a horseshoe shape. So you've got a sea that is below sea level, surrounded by mountains except for a little area, And those mountains would bring down this cold air that would be trapped over the surface of that warm lake and would often cause sudden, unexpected, powerful storms to form. And it's in one of these unexpected storms that the the disciples find themselves here in John 6 and 18. And John 6 and 18 says, soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. Now, the Greek root word there for gale is the word megas, M-E-G-A-S, meaning a big, exceedingly great storm. This wasn't a little thunderstorm. This wasn't a gentle rain. This was a I'm-going-to-take-you-out type situation. Unexpected, out of nowhere. Now, a large number of these disciples were fishermen by trade. And they were aware, because they were familiar with the Sea of Galilee, they were familiar with that sea, and they knew that unexpected storms could come up at any moment, but know this, church, they set sail anyway. They knew a storm could come up at any moment, not just any storm, but a bad storm, but they set sail anyway. And for our graduates, there are many facets of life that require age and experience to successfully navigate its paths. Learning to live within a budget takes experience. Some people never learn. Just ask my wife. Honey, you can spend $200 at the grocery store. Why did you spend $250? Well, it was on sale. You still went over budget, but it was on sale. Learning how to live in a house with other people, that only comes from experience. You learn experience through employment, like being on time, doing your job, learning how to conduct a trade well. All of those things come from experience, but there is one facet of life that's learned rather quickly by everyone. And that is that in life, sudden, strong, unexpected storms may rain down on our journey at any time in any location. And I don't just mean physical storms. About a year ago, uh, within a mile, mile and a half of my home, a tornado actually came through our county. Was the, the path of the, the tornado was about 80 miles It came within a a mile mile and a half of my house as an EF2 and went to the next town as an EF4. So yes, some of those unexpected storms are physical. But there are also some unexpected storms that come along like losing a parent or a grandparent or a spouse or a child or you become a caretaker at a younger age. Maybe your storm is you're not the popular cool kid in school and you can't afford the cool clothes and the shoes and you're always picked last to be on the kickball team or the dodgeball team or people don't invite you to prom or they don't invite you to these parties. Or maybe you have to relocate or move to a new town or a city or a state after you've become established and about the time you're ready to to move into the next phase of life, all of a sudden a storm, blows up and uproots you and moves you to another location or maybe your storm is a a major medical condition is discovered church here's what i want you to know this morning they set sail anyway Knowing the risks were out there, they set still anyway. And many people learn to shut down and not venture out of life because these unexpected storms, because of unexpected storms, they become physical, they become mentally, and they become spiritually stunted in their growth because they're scared that a storm might show up. You see, the Bible addresses the fear of the unknown. Proverbs 26 and 13, the lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. In other words, I'm not going outside because I think there's a lion out there. Now, if it's the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz, you're in business. (laughs) But these people won't even leave the house because they think there's a lion out there. There are many people who won't venture out in their faith. Because they are afraid a storm might show up. You see, Ecclesiastes 11 and 4 says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Why do they never harvest? Because they never plant. You see... The disciples knew there was a chance for storms, but they set sail for a new destination anyway. And today I say to you as graduates, but I also say to you as Christians, get in your boat of life and set sail anyway. A storm's gonna happen if you're sitting on the shore instead of just sitting there wishing you could get somewhere new, wishing you could advance in the kingdom of God, wishing you could get a new job, wishing you could meet the husband husband wife of your dreams, wishing and hoping that somebody would come along and do something different. No, God's waiting on you to get yourself in a boat to get to another place, but you're too scared because you're afraid a storm's going to come up. Let me go ahead and settle this in in your mind right now. There is a storm coming. You're not going to know when. You're not going to know how. You're not going to know its strength. You're not going to know its power. You're not going to know where it's going to blow you or where it's going to take you. But I'm going to tell you, I'd whole lot rather be in a storm with Jesus and sitting on the shore and watching everybody else get to where God wants to take them and me sitting there wishing I was on the other side. You see, Philippians 1 and 6, the reason you can get in the boat and not fear the storm is it says, And I am certain that he who began a good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. If he calls you into the boat... He, he's your GPS and can get you there. You don't need Google Maps. You don't need MapQuest. You don't need Waze. You just get in the boat and start rowing. Well, I don't know where I'm going. It's all right. Jesus does. Well, there might be a storm. It's okay. I promise you there will be a storm. But I also promise you Jesus knows that storm before it ever came up, and he's going to get you through it to where you need to be. So you might as well sail anyway because the storm's coming anyway. So you might as well try to get somewhere else because you know what? You might just sail right through the storm. So don't listen to the wisdom of the crowd. And man, set sail anyway. Set sail anyway. Don't worry about the storm. Don't worry about what's on the horizon. Set sail anyway. And so in John 6, 19 through 21, so these big burly fishermen, they get in the boat, and they didn't have a a Mercury 300 outboard on a ranger bass boat, they could get there in a hurry. They didn't even have a trolling motor. Good old fashioned oars. So now they're out there rowing and they have rowed three or four miles. Now if you, if, if I'm gonna test your, your remembrance here a little bit, your focus a little bit. How wide did I say that it was? Seven miles. Three or four miles puts them in the middle of the sea. They're in the middle of the sea. So they had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified. saw him preach there for a minute, but I better not. I may not get invited back. But he called out to them. I might as well tell you. They're terrified because they didn't know the voice of the master. They didn't know the voice of the master. So they were scared because they didn't recognize the voice. To know when Jesus is talking to you, to know when Jesus is directing you, where Jesus is taking you, where Jesus is guiding you, you got to learn to know the voice of the one who's speaking to you. But he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they uh, arrived at their destination. You have big, burly, tough fishermen. Because being a fisherman, you didn't go out with your Zebco 33. You had to haul in nets. You had to cast nets and haul. So when I think of the Apostle Peter, I don't think of some little punk. I don't think of some little puny person. I think of some big, burly, barrel-chested, full, grizzly Adam's beard. I know I'm dating myself. Full, grizzly Adam's beard. You know, long hair. uh, A man's man. You know, a man who can't keep... He can't walk because he can't keep his foot out of his mouth. But you just think of these big, burly fishermen. And they're out there rowing. And they're pulling hard and anchoring hard. And they're going as fast and hard as they can. And now all of a sudden a storm comes up. And now these big, burly, tough fishermen are all crying like little girls because they see somebody walking on the water coming towards them. Because they, and the reason they were scared is they think they see a ghost. Now we laugh and say, well, it wasn't a ghost. Well, you have to go back 2,000 years ago. Being superstitious was a normal part of life. They didn't understand where thunder and lightning came from. So they see somebody walking across the water, and I can hear Peter now, ah, mm, no, 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 no. Roll, guys, faster, faster. He's getting closer. You know, so these big tough guys are trying to get away from this thing that's coming towards them. Now remember, here's another point to remember, they had gotten in a boat to get away from certain people. They got in a boat because to get where they wanted to be, there were certain people they needed to get away from. When you're going to a new destination, there are some people you need to get away from. There are some people you need to get in the boat and leave them sitting on the shore. No, 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 no. I'm going somewhere, you stay here. Can I come with you? New. No. How about new? No? You stay there Well, I'll hurt their feelings. Let me tell you something. Had you rather hurt somebody's feelings or be where God wants you to be? That's the choice you've got to make. Because if you want to be where God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do, there's some people you're going to have to leave behind. Because their wisdom of the crowd, their crowd wisdom will cause you to stay on the beach. And when you choose to follow Jesus, your path of life is directed to a new destination. And to get to that new destination, you must be willing to get in a boat and leave some people behind. Oh, but I love him. Love him from a distance. (laughs) Oh, if I leave this job, I don't know if I'll find another one. Have you looked at the economy lately? Have you ridden down the road? I drive one of the, I'm a bivocational passenger, pray for me. I drive a school bus during the year. We need school bus drivers, trust me. When you step out to get to a new destination, you may have to leave those people behind in that employment. There's some, oh, I'm going to get ugly for a minute, and I don't mean just looks either, but I'm going to be ugly for a minute. There might be some family you need to leave sitting on the shore. There's some family you may not need to take with you. You see, when the disciples saw this human figure walking across the water, they became terrified. The Greek root word for terrified is the word phoebe, meaning alarmed or exceedingly fearful. It's phobia is our modern word. They had a phobia of ghosts. You see, they were terrified because they thought it was someone who had the power to conjure up this storm. They thought this ghost walking on the water is the one that brought up the storm to take them out. They thought this storm was there to destroy them. And when you're rowing to a new destination during a sudden unexpected storm, it may appear that Satan's brewed up a storm and Satan's getting ready to get in your vessel. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But notice this, church, where they were expecting to hear a roar where they were expecting to hear a voice that said, I'm going to take you out instead. They heard a familiar voice speaking comfort and assurance to them. And it was the voice of the master who said, don't be afraid I am here. And, and John, as I told you earlier, they, they got scared because they didn't know the voice. John 10, 27, my sheep listened to my voice. They got scared and I thank the Lord that there's enough room in his grace and mercy that when I don't recognize his voice, he doesn't shoot me down or call me down and say, hey dummy, don't you know it's me? Don't you know it's me talking to you? I thank the Lord there's enough grace and mercy where he says hey be of comfort it's me I'm here I'm not here to destroy you but I'm here to take you where I want you to be and so when Jesus knew that it when the disciples knew it was Jesus they gladly welcomed him into the boat so to get where you're going you need to let Jesus get in the boat with you and some of you the reason you're stuck and I know I may not be able to come back but you're stuck because you left Jesus walking on the water and you still try to get somewhere notice they didn't get somewhere until Jesus got in the boat and when Jesus got in the boat it says they immediately got to their destination so what had happened if they left Jesus walking on the water they'd still be there Y'all can see it now and all the promos to go see the Holy Land. Come watch the disciples still rowing 2,000 years later. Jesus is still standing there going, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and they still rowing. And Jesus is still waiting. You see, the disciples were headed just as our graduates. The disciples were headed to a new destination. They were trying to get away from the from the old crowd they encountered a storm and they thought the enemy was about to wipe them out only to discover that Jesus was there to assist them with the remainder of the trip you see they embarked on a seven-mile journey and at the midway point in the middle of the storm is when Jesus appeared on the scene Graduates, to everybody else, there are going to be some times when you find yourself in the middle of the sea. You can't see land ahead of you, you can't see land behind you. You don't see anything but waves and storms beating down your boat. So you find yourself in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the storm, wondering what in the world is going on, and in your middle, middle is what I like to call it, is when Jesus shows up. In the middle of the worst storm you've ever been in. In the middle of the sea where you, you, you can't see where you've been, and you can't see where you're going. They tell A part of being seasick is you can't see where you've been and you can't see where you're going so when you're in the middle you're in the middle of the sea I can't see where I've been I can't see where I'm going I don't know what's going to happen that's when Jesus shows up so church I came by to tell you this today you see they were not where they had been but they were not yet, they had not yet arrived where they're going. I came to tell somebody today, your marriage is not where it has been, but it's not yet where it can go. Your employment is not where it has been, but your employment through God is not yet where it can go. Your family is not where it has been, but through God your family is not yet where it can go. Your ministry is not where it has been but through Jesus it's not yet where it can go and to all of you I say your relationship with God is not what it has been but your relationship with God is not yet where it can go you're not where you've been but you're not yet where you can go and when you find yourself in the middle middle that's when you cry out and say Jesus I need you to step out and walk to my boat and get in this boat with me and get me where I'm supposed to be going. And as soon as Jesus got in, they were where they're supposed to be. And one day, church, Jesus is going to show up and immediately we're going to be where we're supposed to be. You see, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Church, we may feel like right now on this earth that we are in a middle, middle, we can't see where we have been we can't see where we're going in this country but I know this when Jesus shows up on the scene we're going to be where we're supposed to be immediately because in the twinkling of an eye when the trumpet sounds we shall be changed and we will be where we're supposed to be going all along if I can have just a a little bit of music I was, as I was, was studying and meditating and, and reviewing just a little bit, God, God laid this on me. Some of you are stuck in the middle middle because you're kicking the wrong people out of the boat and you're keeping the wrong people in your boat. You're kicking the wrong people out and you're keeping the wrong people in. What do you mean keeping the wrong people in? I'm talking about the people who are sitting in your boat and they're not helping you row. They're called spectators. They're called observers. They're called bums. They're called freeloaders. I call them as a pastor and I know it sounds terrible, I'm not gonna ask Dallas to agree with me because I don't want y'all to be mad at him. You be mad at me. I'm leaving tomorrow. That guy I won't ever invite him back again. Oh. I call them drainers. As a pastor, I've learned I call them drainers. The reason I say there are drainers, they are people who all they do is take from you, they don't give any, they add zero benefit to your life all they do is drain your life away they give nothing they, and I'm not talking about oh well you know Jesus said we're supposed to help the poor and the need. I'm not talking about that I'm talking about people they know what they're doing they know they're draining your life away they're draining your resources away they're draining your destiny away why because they're in the boat Creating drag and resistance and weight, and now you're having to work twice, three times as hard to try to get where God wants you, but it's not going like it should because you're carrying dead weights. They're not helping you, they're not rowing, they're not encouraging you, they're discouraging you. I told you we shouldn't have left the shore. I told you you should have got those other oars. Those oars are too small. You should have got another one. You need to row harder with the left hand and the right hand. We just sitting here going in circles. I told you we should have got that other boat. I told you a storm was coming. That's when you say, you know what? How about you go see if there's any fish in this sea? How about you get a close-up and personal look at the fish in the sea? They're not helping you row. They're not speaking life to you. They're only adding more weight and resistance to the boats. So for somebody, somebodies today, you're in a middle middle. You're in the middle of the sea. You can't see where you've been, but you can't see where you're going. And you're in the middle of a storm. And you're asking, God, is this you? Or is this going to be what takes me out? Am I going to drown in this middle middle? Am I going to lose and not make my destiny? Get some people out of the boat and get the right people in. Get the right people in who will help you row. And when I say people who encourage you, I don't mean just people who are going to speak flowery language over you. Oh, I love your hair. It's great. I love your outfit. Oh, you're awesome. Oh, you're this. or you're, I don't just mean that. Now, that's great too. But I mean people who also say, now look, you had a long enough break. It's time to start rowing again. And they don't just tell you to start rowing again. They grab an oar and say, let me help you you got somewhere to go. Let me help you get there. So this morning as as we begin to, to bring this to a close, you've got somewhere to go. You know you do. You know the call. You may not have seen the destination, but you know it's over there somewhere. you've been hung up in this middle middle. And you're starting to doubt. The discouragement is starting to overwhelm you. You're beginning to feel like your destiny was simply a dream. And you're about ready to pull the oars in and just let the storm take you where it's going to take you. And if that's you, I want you to to just simply stand where you are. You don't have to come to the front. You don't just stand and say, Pastor, I'm in a middle, middle. I'm in a middle, middle. There's nothing, I've been there. I've been there as a pastor, I have been there as a father, I have been there as a student. There was was a time my roommate and I, we were getting ready to bring a U Haul to our dorm room and back it up and take home everything we had at Lee and say, God, you can have all this education stuff. I'm done. Because both of us at the same time were in the middle, middle. Your pastor and I have both been in the middle, middle at the same time. Would you stand and say, Pastor, I'm in a middle, middle? Hey, you, you didn't get there because you sinned you didn't get there because you took a wrong turn you didn't get in the middle middle because God said nah I'm going to let you learn I'm going to leave you out there and let you learn You got there because you stepped out in faith, believing God's calling you to get somewhere. And You're not going to get somewhere in the kingdom of God without some resistance. So the enemy's been tearing you up, trying to convince you you're in a middle middle because of something you did or you did not do. And I'm here to tell you, he's a liar and the father of all lies. You're in a middle middle because God's trying to get you somewhere and Jesus today in this sanctuary wants to step into your middle middle and he wants to ride in your boat with you.